All right, welcome to another Ember Weekend. I'm Jonathan Jackson. And I'm Chase McCarthy. And we are here to talk about Ember News and also other things. Yeah, uh, I'm uh, broadcasting this time from Providence, Rhode Island. And I think you're in Austin, right? Yep, still in Austin. Well, nice. Round Rock, I don't know. Yeah, you know, you always make the correction here, but I don't really understand the distinction between Austin and Round Rock. Are they just different cities? or um, you like? I, I, can use, I can use plastic bags and Austin can't. That's basically oh. the, the difference. Oh. Neat, neat. That's that's a that's a, a good distinction. I and still we're have on uh, bags, though. I still have reusable bags. Still, chill out, <laughs> everyone. Relax. Um, so this is episode 101. We don't have a title for it yet um, because we never do that until we release. But episode 101, we're just past the centennial. So this is uh, this is um, the first step into the new uh, the new uh, centennial or whatever. Uh, and uh, we are going to dive right in. Okay, so the first thing uh, that I want to talk about today is uh, Robert Jackson's blog that he has been posting weekly to, which I, if, if you have talked to Robert at all about writing and uh, documentation and all that stuff, uh, he tends to favor uh, coding things and like fixing things and developing features and stuff like that. Uh, so this is a really big deal that he's blogging weekly. So um, I'm really excited about it, and we're going to talk about a few of the posts. But uh, I don't know; it's it's really heartening to see this. Yeah, and and they're all really good because he's you know he's got a ton of exposure. I mean, probably wrote half of the stuff <laughs> you use number, or at least contributed heavily to it. Um, and it seems like now it's all like paying off. Um, he's also got some other things that are kind of not unrelated, but still like important, like the the Git polishing one. Um, so there's you know a lot of great content for being I don't know what like a month and a half of yeah. Blogging. Yeah, I actually uh, I talked to him about this, and uh, he was saying that uh, as he's writing it, he'll he'll be like he'll write he'll write out a solution like here's how you do the Babel configuration, and he'll be like that looks ugly. I don't want to I don't want to have to write that and that be true. So he'll go in and actually rewrite <laughs> the stuff behind the scenes so that his blog post is more like reflective of what he wants to exist. It's really funny. Like he's using that kind of as a mechanism uh, to. You know, like he he doesn't want to present something that's like a has a bad interface or something, so he'll like rewrite it, which is very much in line with Robert's like coding style. So, <laughs> so this is like um, a, this is blog first development. I think so. Yeah, I think it really is blog first development. Um, so one of the one of the ones the the, the articles that I want to talk about. I think I want to talk about two or three of them um, because we uh, we had an interview and then the centennial, so uh, we were uh, unable to cover these as they came out. Uh, but the the first one I think is really really interesting is the Ember CLI targets. Uh, so basically, uh, Ember CLI targets is a new feature in Ember CLI that allows you to um, specify the targets, the tar like target browsers that you actually care about, so that transpilation will only uh, only perform the the trans transforms, the Babel plugins uh, for the features that you want to support. So say you only want to support Chrome. Uh, your for of loops can look like for of loops instead of, you know, that giant symbol iterator thing that gets transpiled now to ECMA 5. So, um, so it's a very, very powerful tool and it unlocks a lot of things. And I think a few months ago we were talking about the rewrite of or the re-architecture uh, to use uh, Babel 6, which is a pretty monumental effort on a lot of people's parts. Um, and this is kind of a part of the payoff to that. There's a lot more to it, but the Babel 6 plugins are now much easier to configure, and you can pull in your own Babel plugins now much easier, which was real pain before. And uh, being able to do this stuff and be able to, being able to configure this stuff more uh, easily is going to yield some massive benefits. And I think this is the we're seeing the first steps here. 
So uh, one of the things that's interesting about the targets, though, that needs to be uh, kind of talked about is that uh, there are some changes that need to happen elsewhere. Like, for instance, uh, when you do the targets feature, uh, many of these uh, things are not supported in Phantom. Like, Phantom really is an ECMA 5 headless browser. So the default test runner is Phantom, which is not it's just not going to work if you do this. So uh, one of the first steps to kind of start leveraging this stuff is to really get your test suite running with against Chrome. Um, and Travis lets you do that pretty easily. Uh, well, pretty easily. I'm sure that it's pretty difficult, but uh, I know that the configuration is pretty simple. Like I'm sure the people at Travis did a lot of work to make that a little bit less painful. Uh, but it should it should be able to be configured for a CI, and that will kind of unlock this stuff. Yeah, and then, and then locally, uh, I think you have to be running Chrome Canary right now to be able to use headless mode, but I've been using it uh, on some projects, and cool. it works pretty well. I've heard there's some issues with, uh, like, pointer events and things like that, or, like, uh, scroll events. Anything yeah, that's focus like, maybe? Yeah, yeah, any of those kind of things. Uh, I heard there's some issues around that. I haven't experienced it because, luckily, I haven't been dealing with apps that need that kind of stuff, but right. um, it seems to be pretty stable on a, on a relatively large app. So um, yeah, you pr you'll probably want to switch to that if you do use this. Although I, I don't know what you would do if you, um, like if Chrome ever became the, like, like fell behind what you wanted to support. Um, so you're kind of like tied to Chrome at that point, it seems like. Yeah. Well, I mean, all the headless uh, browsers that you can configure to run um, in CI or whatever, they're, they're, you're going to have some tricky parts where you want to make sure that you have like the right versions that you actually care about. And yeah. keeping that up to date is going to be a little bit challenging. Um, but Phantom also provides its own challenges. So I, th I think that you're kind of, it's kind of six in one half dozen oh, yeah. of the other, you know, where like either you're going to deal with Phantom bugs, which are, you know, usually not applicable to your user, your actual user base, or you're going to deal with um, headless browser bugs where you're just like, I don't know if this is the right version of the browser that I want to support and stuff. Um, anyways, I, I think it's going to unlock a lot of interesting things. And honestly, like testing closer to what the user is using, um, which is not Phantom, uh, is probably going to yield benefits outside of just this target stuff. It's also going to better and more accurately represent user input. So I think it's a good change anyways. Yeah, and, and, Fan and uh, Phantom uses like massive amounts of RAM uh, for the same yeah. app that like Chrome would use, you know, like an example I saw was like Chrome headless was using like 200 megs, but Phantom mm -hmm. was using like 3.5 gigs. Um, th this is like obviously not going to happen in every app. I think this was like a specific case where Phantom was not able to like garbage collect something, but Chrome was. Um, and, and, and it is, I mean, we see that all the time. Like the, yeah. any of the errors that's like, hey, Phantom crashed, no, no good error message, most of the time it's memory. Uh, so, yeah, and uh, just to continue on some of the blog stuff, uh, there's a really good uh, editorial, like, thought piece on uh, does Glimmer mean the death of Ember? Uh, and kind of the TLDR is no, it does not uh, at all. Uh, but Robert has a lot more insight uh, being a core team member and being heavily involved in development of, of the Glimmer standalone stuff. Um, he has a really good... Uh, there's a rooster going behind me. Do you hear that? No. You don't hear oh, that? Nope. Oh, wow. Well, that's kind of neat. Uh, microphones, you know. Um, anyways, yeah, Robert's heavily involved in both of these things. Uh, and I think he had a really good insight into, like, kind of the goals of the project. It's to help bring people in who would otherwise be um, not not so inclined to use Ember, like people who are embedding uh, web. They want to embed web components into an existing Rails app, for instance. Um, and then they'll get involved in the Ember community and the release process and like the stability, get used to that. And then maybe that will help encourage them to write Ember. Um, meanwhile, uh, the features that are really cutting edge uh, can be tested and, uh, and 
use cases can be fleshed out in Glimmerland, and then the stable, like uh, the stable portions of it, can be pulled into Ember. Uh, so you get this like nice testing ground for some new ideas, and uh, the best ones are going to make their way back to Ember. Um, and there's a, a bunch of other rationale here uh, about how this is going to work and all that stuff. And I think the blog post does a much better job of explaining it than I would. Um, so I would recommend checking it out. I know this is something that came up right after the uh, EmberConf keynote where they talked a lot about Glimmer. Um, so this is something that everyone was kind of asking. And I think that this blog post does a really good job of of explaining like, no, it's going to it's gonna really unlock a lot of cool things for Ember. So it's actually uh, going to probably benefit uh, both the Ember ecosystem at, at large and also Ember like JS, like Ember, the framework itself. Yeah. And, and one of the complaints I've seen is that there's a lot of like duplication of, of things that exist now in Ember and Glimmer, but I think that's being handled slowly. It's like, it's, it's, it was a case of like uh, the chicken and the egg, like you had to pull out Glimmer for, for that you to be able to like know what things needed to exist in Glimmer or what, which worked best. I mean, you could, you could go in and be like, well, we're, we're pretty sure this, this, and this need to be their own standalone library. They can both use, but you're gonna you can sometimes make the wrong call and it seems like there were a lot of things that they're like you know there are 20 lines we'll just implement in both kind of see you know what they end up looking like it's kind of the um what was, what was the thing better better have duplication than a bad abstraction yeah. thing uh yeah. and 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 it seems like a lot of these things are slowly starting to like they're starting to pull them into either glimmer or into a standalone thing that, they, that both ember and glimmer use yep definitely yeah I think it's a, I think it's great. It's great stuff. I'm really excited about the future of Glimmer and Ember, but um, yeah. But but uh, kind of uh, wrapping up this section, uh, you can subscribe to this blog post or this blog, uh, Robert's blog, uh, at rwjblue.com. Uh, and there's a feed. I don't know exactly where it is, but if you go there, there's going to be a little RSS link. Uh, you can uh, subscribe to that. I really highly recommend you do that. Uh, while he's blogging, uh, like I said, he's going to have a ton of really great insight into the Ember ecosystem. So um, plugging into that will definitely help you understand like down the road stuff. And he has been really practical too, where most of these posts have like a, a call to action, like, hey, if you want to use this, here's how to do it right now. Like here's here's the code that you can run that will get your app to try it, um, this new cool feature or whatever. So, um, so it's a little practical and it's also sometimes a little bit, uh, you know, just thought leadery, but I think more practical than thought leadery. Is that a, is that a word? Am I making up a total new thought, thought, word? Thought leadery has been around for at okay. least a year. Okay, cool. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good then. Um, so yeah, anyways, check it out. I highly recommend it. So Sam and Ryan over at Embermap uh, have a broccoli post. It's probably been out for a couple weeks. Um, it was like free the first day, so you might have seen it. Like that's uh, their, their their kind of plan is like first day it's free and then you pay for it. Um, but they've got a really good broccoli post. Um, and John and I are both subscribed to the service. So uh, we, we listen to that. And uh, it's a really good high-level overview of kind of the justification for broccoli. Uh, which I think is what a lot of people uh, miss about it. They don't, or they, they don't understand about it, or haven't. There's not enough discussion around it. It seems like, like, why are we, why do we have broccoli? Why don't we have something like, yeah, like Webpack? Um, and they do an example of uh, like uh, what some of the what, what some of the plugins do for broccoli, uh, where they kind of fit in the ecosystem, what problems they solve, and then kind of an explanation of like what trees are and what problems they solve. Yeah, so I, I think that's really the, the best part about this uh, this series on broccoli. I think this is only one of uh, a few that are intended. Um, he They intimate at the end of the final uh, intro to broccoli thing that there will be more about broccoli. Um, but basically this is, uh, this is something I think is really important. It's to get a good m mental model of 
how broccoli works. Um, there is justification for why it is a good abstraction, and I think these are very compelling reasons, um, and you should definitely check those out. Um, but basically, you know, a tr you can think of a tree as like a managed directory, so that you get a lot of the caching stuff at a layer that is kind of abstracted from you. So you get to do file system I/O uh, with you know things that look like directories. Um, but they get cached and they do all this intelligent stuff to make sure it's performant that you don't have to manage yourself. So it's this nice, nice abstraction to basically create a pipeline of transforms. Um, and it's really, uh, it's really interesting. I think having a mental model of how broccoli works is uh, the key to a lot of uh, like understanding how to build add-ons, how to debug add-ons. Uh, how to create and use broccoli outside of the Ember ecosystem, etc. So I think that this this series does such a great job of uh, bringing you from like kind of no understanding or low understanding of how broccoli works to having this really solid understanding of like why, what, how, and I mean you're still going to have to dig in if you want to start implementing things, but at the end of it you're going to know uh, generally speaking how to do it, and the mental model is the biggest part. Uh, once you need to know the details, you will know where to look for documentation and you will know where to look in the code and you'll know how to search for things um, because you kind of understand like the basic primitive of like, what is a tree? Okay, cool. Well, if it's just a tree and it's just transforms and it's just functions, it's just, you know, it's, it's all this stuff. Once you have all this in your head, it's much easier to kind of reason about. And I think that's the, the key that's been missing. Um, somebody described documentation or the documentation pro process is kind of this like pyramid where you have to have like the base understanding, which is kind of your mental model. And then you kind of go more and more narrow. So it's like the base is like blog posts and series like this that give you this broad understanding, not necessarily details. And then you go into blog posts and that's kind of like higher up on the pyramid and so on and so on and so on. And eventually you get to the peak of the pyramid, which is like the API documentation. Um, but you really have to build it that way in order to, um, to really understand something. And I think this does a really good job of setting that foundational layer of understanding of how broccoli works. So I cannot recommend it highly enough. Um, it does cost. So EmberMap is a uh, as a paid service. So um, I mean, we're not we're not sponsored by them or anything like that. Uh, I feel like we should probably mention that. Uh, but I'm just mentioning it uh, because it is uh, it is kind of a foundational uh, tool. Um, so I, I recommend you check it out if you uh, if you can convince your company to subscribe or something like that. That's probably the best way to do it. So yeah, once again, check it out. Um, I know that there are some uh, broccoli posts uh, in the work for Robert's blog that will be released soon, uh, and there's uh, another broccoli post that we will post to um, that uh, talks about how to debug some broccoli stuff. It's a little bit more uh, low level, so it's like um, broccoli stew, which is uh, kind of a debugging helper uh, to view the the transform trees at any particular point in time uh, throughout your pipeline to do debugging and stuff. Uh, we'll link to that um, and we'll link to Robert's post, which should drop soon. Um, uh, yeah, and definitely check this out if you can. Uh, and yeah, check it out. All right, so the last thing we want to talk about is a blog post by Edward Faulkner uh, called CSS and markup in JavaScript is an evolutionary dead end, which is kind of a mouthful. Uh, but the idea is that uh, coupling JavaScript and CSS and HTML all together, uh, rather than allowing them to evolve independently of one another, kind of pigeonholes you and stifles the evolution of uh, whatever it is you're doing. So if you're writing HTML with JavaScript, you're now tied to your own implementation that's going to evolve at a different rate than HTML and JavaScript uh, would alone. Um, it's a much more in-depth uh, argument about how abstractions kind of evolve over time and 
how to be a professional developer for a long time, you needed to know C. Before that, you needed to know assembly. And over time, those abstractions solidified and became less important to know for day-to-day -day use. Um, so it's a really interesting blog post. It's kind of a thought leadery think piece. Um, and I'm not, I don't particularly want to weigh in on which side is right or which side is wrong. I find this to be a very interesting uh, blog post and an interesting concept. And it makes you think about where the next five years will leave us as uh, professional JavaScript developers um, and thinking about how we can best position ourselves to, you know, be relevant. Yeah, case. yeah, definitely. Because um, the, the thing that the mentions in this post is that uh, there's many examples of this happening throughout the history of computer science. Like the first one, I, I think, in, at least in, in his, is, uh, you know, people who knew assembly and then C started coming out. And it was like the next thing was pitched as like, this is what everybody's going to be writing. This is the future of programming. And there's all these people that knew assembly and they were like, well, there's all these, uh, it's a leak abstraction. There's all these places where you have to drill down. And like in C, you can just like do like, I can't remember how that, you can do an assembly block. And that was probably pretty common. It's, I mean, I still see people do that in C. Um, and so you had to know how assembly worked to really be a good C developer. But over, over time, that kind of like went away and you don't have to anymore. Like a, a lot of the, you know, beginner C developers didn't know assembly, uh, at least not to the point where they could write the entire application in it. And then that happened again when, you know, uh, other languages like maybe C sharp or, you know, Java came out, uh, you know, they were still written in C and they had to. You know, you had to know some C in order to be good at your job to be able to debug the, the stuff that this was generating. I mean, nothing was transpiling at that point, um, but they all kind of uh, had like a target of whatever C compiled down into. Right. Um, and it's, you know, it's similar things are happening now with like compiling to LLVM um, instead of actually compiling to the app, actual application. You have to know a lot about LLVM. Um, it, and it, so this happens, you know, over and over and over again. And he said that, in the beginning, the the people that have been around, like the I can't remember the way you referred to it, the old guard, uh, they they kind of fight it, and they're like, no, no, you need to know this because this is the the foundation of what you're doing. Um, and he said they always lose because there's more of the new people coming in. There's more of the yeah. people who want the the benefits of the abstraction. Well, and and honestly, that's kind of how the software evolves just in general. So yeah. I think there is a lot of change coming up, especially with WebAssembly, um, and. There are questions that need to be asked and answered. Uh, as people who are experienced developers, it's important for us to be understanding of what's going on and what abstractions exist. And I think in this particular case, he's really kind of saying like, try to be a little bit more understanding of the the ways where technology will evolve and um, and maybe not try to stifle it in any way. So, um, so it's an interesting blog post. It's not particularly long. I think maybe reading time would be like five, 10 minutes, um, but it'll definitely get you thinking. And I really like Edward's posts because they are very um, thoughtful. And I think I think they're, they're high, higher levels uh, of like thought than where I'm normally at. I'm normally like, let me do this thing now, or like, I wanna learn this technology because it's cool or it does this thing. And he's kind of thinking about like, how does this interplay with the rest of the ecosystem and how are things gonna do that? So I really enjoy uh, just his, his writing in general. So another blog post that I recommend you subscribe to. All right, and uh, thanks for sticking with us through the end. That was episode 101. I'm Jonathan Jackson. And I'm Jason McCarthy. And if you would like to follow along, uh, you can follow us at uh, Ember Weekend, all one word on Twitter, or emberweekend.com slash feed.xml if you want to do the RSS thing. Pretty cool. 
Uh, and now uh, you can also follow us on the uh, Topic-EmberWeekend uh, Slack channel on the EmberJS community Slack. Uh, it's a really great place. Um, we're kinda, it's kind of small right now, but it's really good where people can ask us questions and we can talk. Um, so just say hi to friendly faces, that sort of thing. Uh, so be sure to join that and say hello. And uh, if you have anything you want to specifically talk about on the show, that's a really good place to have discussions. And uh, yeah, and we'll go from there. All right, see you next week.